Welcome to Body Talk, where we strive to go through life with our eyes open. My name is Spencer Kaufman, coming at you from 103.5 FM, The Sun Community Radio. Today we are going to talk about the story behind my first book, A Guide to Deception. The reason for this story is to help you discover my passion and desire to help people learn about body language. It is such an incredible topic, something that many people realize and understand, but they aren't quite able to interpret it and determine the meaning behind it and what all of these signs mean. It is the little hidden signs that tell us what everybody is really saying. And if you were with us last time, you may remember that I mentioned my time at Minnesota State University in Moorhead, or MSUM. I did a study there while I was going through undergraduate on smiles and whether or not people can accurately detect the difference between a real smile, which is also an enjoyment smile, or a fake smile, also a non-enjoyment smile. I also did a senior paper or project on deception and how people could detect deception and lies, whether or not lies were something that people could accurately spot. And the main difference between these two was that the SMILE study was an actual study. I did statistical analysis and conducted research and then examined the results, whereas the deception paper was exactly that. It was more of a paper. It was research and it was all about Uh, analyzing different research done by other people and compiling all of that together and putting it in one paper to determine whether or not people could accurately detect deception. Now, as I mentioned, the SMILE study was published in an academic journal. That's in the Psychi Journal of Undergraduate Psychology Research. Uh, It happened over a year after graduation. It was published in August of 2013. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, then you can check it out online on sunprairiemediacenter.com or on the Body Talk podcast. Now, the senior paper, or the one on detecting deception, that was uh, something that I wanted to publish and that I tried to get published, but it was very difficult because I didn't conduct any statistical analysis. I mean, I figured I had already published one journal article and thought that this one, I felt it was a good quality article and it was on a topic that a lot of people are interested in. A lot of people were interested in it in 2013 and a lot of people are still interested in it now. It's been a growing hype ever since the 1980s when Paul Ekman really took that on and started this body language and deception research. He traveled around the world and tested people from different cultures. He and a lot of other people did this research and really started the ball on all of the human emotions and body language detecting and determined that they are universal, that we can all see and express these basic human emotions. And so with this paper, I thought that it should be published as well, and I contacted journal after journal, and I received rejection after rejection. It was almost something that was super difficult to do. It was much harder than the SMILE study. And the main reason for all of these 
rejection letters, let's say, was because I hadn't conducted any statistical analysis. I didn't do any statistics, which is like if you have 100 people, let's say, and you survey 100 people or you have 100 people run the mile. And these 100 people, they run the 99 of them, let's say, run the mile in 10 minutes. This is going to be a scenario, a very plain example. Obviously, this is not going to be something that's true. You would most likely have 100 different times if you have 100 people run the mile. But let's just say 99 of them can run the mile in 10 minutes flat. Not that great a time, but you have one person who's a supreme athlete, and he or she can run the mile in six minutes. So that data is going to be skewed statistically. You have 99 people. If we throw out the one, that means their average would be 10-minute mile. But you add the one that runs it in six minutes, and now out of 100 people, you take an average. The average is going to be less. So it may be nine minutes something or, or nine-minute 40 seconds. When you have 99 people that run it in 10, the one that runs it in 6, that person is called an outlier. And in many cases, the outliers are just thrown out of the data anyway, so the average we would probably say is still 10-minute mile. However, that is what statistics does. You find means or averages, medians, the middle numbers, the most frequent numbers, and you put all of this data together. You put it in charts, you put it in graphs, you use these huge, long, advanced mathematical formulas to conduct whether or not something is statistically significant. Your goal in statistics is to find out whether or not there is a significant difference in something. And so with the smiles, I tested whether or not there was a significant difference in if someone could detect a real versus a fake smile. I also tested between men and women, age, race, ethnicity, tested all kinds of different things, where they look, where they reported they looked. I did statistical analysis on about 10 or 12 different variables, which is why that was such an easy study to get published. However, with the deception paper that I wrote, since I didn't do any statistical analysis and I didn't conduct any experiment, people didn't really want to publish that. They said, if you want, you can do a meta-analysis of all of the other studies and bring them together as one statistical analysis, but I wasn't interested in doing that. So eventually, I decided that I would start contacting some magazines. I figured that, well, if a scientific journal isn't going to publish it, then let's put it in magazines where common readership happens. And by some miracle, I reached Reader's Digest and got a reply. They, they replied to me. They said that they were interested in this topic, that it was a great topic that they thought their readers would love, and they wanted to publish it. They wanted to work with me. And they really wanted to work with me when I mentioned that I wasn't looking for any payment. They said, great, this is a free story. And they agreed. They said, let's break it up because my paper was pretty long and it had roughly about six different headings, six different topics. And they said, break it up into six articles and we'll do one every month. I was super excited and I think I, re I rewrote my entire paper for their formatting. You see, when it was as a scientific paper, it was in the APA format. Well, when you publish in a magazine, they want in-text uh, little numbers and then footnotes. So I rewrote each article as a separate, or e rewrote the whole article as six separate articles with footnotes in them all, and then started sending them to Reader's Digest. 
However, time went on, time went on, months went by, and nothing happened. I kept, we kept in communication. They just kept saying things like they were running out of room. They had a different story come up. What happened likely was somebody paid them to put their story in or some other politics happened where someone had a friend that needed a story in or, or who knows what the reasons were. But the point is, is after several months, three or four months, my story still wasn't being published in Reader's Digest. We didn't have any sort of contract, so I decided I would start looking at other opportunities. I solicited new agreements in, in other magazines. I figured I'd start targeting law enforcement because deception and law enforcement kind of go hand in hand. Any, any cops or agents or anything, they need to know when people are lying, especially when they're interrogating a suspect. So I got a really, really huge journal to publish it it was in the with the fbi in their law enforcement bulletin which is a weekly or not a weekly it's a monthly they have a weekly newsletter but they also have had a monthly magazine and e-magazine that they broadcasted out to tons of readers and mine was going to be put in the monthly broadcast and then mentioned in in the weekly and so the articles were already formatted. I had already rewritten them to magazine specifications. They were super excited. Again, they were happy to know that I didn't require any payment. Things went on. Months went by. Same story over again. They kept running out of space. They didn't want to put my article in, whatever the case, but things didn't work out. So finally, about a year later, I decided, you know what? Enough is enough. And it, I need to publish this because I figured a lot of people are interested in it. So the six articles became six chapters. I added an introduction as well as a conclusion and also a little section about how to use this book and like a cautionary statement, which this is something that I'm going to reiterate here because when you start to become more self-aware of the body language that's going on, the facial micro-expressions, the certain things you do, whether it's folding your arms, crossing your legs, touching your eyes, anything like that. Once you start to realize the meanings behind those gestures and then start to see them on other people, you can, it's kind of jarring. It's a different idea. It's like a shift, a paradigm shift or something. Your mentality will change and you will start to notice a lot more, which for some people that can be a little bit overwhelming to start seeing these things and to start knowing what other people really are thinking of them or are trying to say to them. So be careful, but when you become more self-aware, you become more aware of others. And I put that in the beginning of the book so that people reading it or skimming through it at the store or whatever, they could see that and make sure that they know what they are getting into. So that's the same thing for anyone listening to the Body Talk broadcast is... This is not specifically on deception. It's going to be about body language in general. So there are a lot of cool things that you're going to learn from this. And whether or not you want to know that information is up to you. Now, eventually, you may say, well, why wouldn't I want to know that information? Well, other than the reasons I just gave you, we'll come up with some specific examples of scenarios that you will probably agree with on, yep, that, that would make sense on why I wouldn't want to know that. So that'll be coming up in the weeks to come. But anyway, once I got that book formatted in six months, it was published, and that's when my career as an author was born. A Guide to Deception was published in September of 2015, and since then, I have written a number of books, 10 books really, mainly on self-help and success topics, all derived from 
myself going through different things. When I became an author, I had to start a website. Not wanting to pay people tens of thousands of dollars to do it for me, I learned how to do a lot of it myself. Same with social media. I didn't want to pay a company to manage social media, so I started learning how to use Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and these places a lot more effectively to grow a following, especially on YouTube as well. I've also written a number of devotional books. Again, all of these are available online. If that's something you're interested in, you can check them out there. And briefly, I'm going to just go over each of the in-print books and what they might be about as we're still in the introductory phase of this broadcast. So the first one after A Guide to Deception was called Relax and Unwind. And that is a book filled with little tips. It's all really kind of common sense things, but it's dedicated to helping people kind of take more control of their life so you can relax, be a little bit more stress-free, a little more productive, because you will start becoming more efficient in your everyday life. They're very simple things, such as cleaning up your desk before you go home, making sure that your computer is running effectively by having scans done, things like that, so that that way you eliminate any problems. It's like emergency preparedness. If you're prepared for all the scenarios, then when something happens, you don't really lose your mind over it. It's not an emergency because you know how to deal with it because you've set up the proper precautions, so you're prepared. After that, I wrote Work Less, Live More, which is a great book about becoming more efficient. This one is also in the form of uh, just some tips. It's like 101 productivity tips so you can start being more efficient in life. And basically, it's along the same lines. It's things that you can do at work, at home, things you can do to make your life more efficient and productive. After that, it was A Healthier You, which was basically a fitness book. And that one is, uh, again, same type of deal. It's all tips such as take the stairs, uh, eat some vegetables once in a while, drink more water, make sure that you cut your sugar down, don't eat second helpings, and things like that. It was all very common sense-based stuff, but it's things that people need constant reminders of in order to continue being productive and healthy in life. So that's a pretty cool book to check out as well. Then I started getting more into the online stuff because I was really learning how to do a lot of things online with websites, with marketing, with social media. So I wrote a book called Affiliate Marketing Expert. Now affiliate marketing is the process where you can sell something for somebody else and get paid a commission. So like if you want to promote products on Amazon, then Amazon pays you a commission on the sale. It's kind of a neat deal. So this book was about how people can do that, how you can refer people to other products and make money doing so. Then I decided to target Facebook and I really started growing my Facebook account pages. I I have a page as an author. I also have a page for each one of my books. So that means I manage about 12 different Facebook pages and it kind of can get tough sometimes But when I decided to learn all of that stuff on Facebook, I thought, you know what, there are a lot of other authors like me who need to learn this material, and I wrote this book called More Facebook Everything that outlines how to get massive traffic to your Facebook page, to get more followers on there, to get more likes, more activity, more comments, etc. Then I had an amazing book experience. I had watched the movie War Room, For those of you who are familiar with that, you know it is a great movie. 
and I normally at this time in my life, I went to bed at a decent hour, like 10 o'clock or so. Now, this night, I watched War Room, and it got done at like 11.30. So that was already past my bedtime, and I was so inspired and so motivated that I went to my room that night, and I stayed up till like 3 in the morning, and I was writing down topic after topic after topic, headings on a devotional. And, and I wrote like 280 or so topics on this. Then I went to bed. I was so tired and I got up at like six in the morning. So I only had a few hours sleep and I got up and I started writing more. And by the time I was done, I had like 350 topics written down on a devotional. So then what I did was I just started writing like 200 words per topic and each one became a day. And then after a lot of trial and error, because I wanted this one to be with a big publishing company to get it out there more, I had published 365 days of devotion and that book is available it's with a publishing company and it was just an amazing experience it's probably the fastest I've ever written that long of a book because it was something that I was just inspired to do it wasn't me doing it after that I wrote a book called YouTube takeover which some of the information in there now YouTube is always changing their rules their algorithms and everything but a lot of that information is still very valid with YouTube's new changes there are only a couple things in there that may not be but otherwise it's on how to grow a YouTube channel and start getting your message out there because when I started the deception tips blog I had made a blog post Every week for two years, I had the Dece- a guide to deception book. Then I made the deception tips ebook, and then I have the podcast. So I thought, man, I got to get my videos out there and get everything out there. So I learned about YouTube and wrote this book and made it available for anyone who wants to do the same. The next one was the deception tips ebook, which is currently still in ebook form. However, Sometime later this year, a revised and expanded edition will come out, which will be in print, and it will be twice as long because each of the tips will be explained. Right now, it's just a handy little image guide that you can scroll through as you're waiting in line, sitting at the bus stop, etc. You pull it up on your phone, tip after tip, rather than having to reload every single one of the blog posts on the website. So that's kind of a handy little deception tips book. It also ties in with the main theme, which is really my passion, is teaching people how to understand and interpret body language so you can know what everybody is really saying. You want to go through life with your eyes open, not your eyes closed. And to open your eyes, you need to understand what other people are really meaning and what they are saying because once you do that, you can really communicate with them much better. You will become a much more effective communicator. After that book, I wrote one called Find Us on Pinterest. And that is how you can grow your Pinterest account, Pinterest followers, and everything like that. It's on making a pin, then making boards, making sure you have everything organized, have your images up there, your profile stuff filled out, and things like that, making where to promote it, where to cross post it on other social media accounts. It's about helping people grow on Pinterest because that is really a cool place. Pictures are worth a thousand words and Pinterest is all about pictures and there are tons and tons of people on there and to capture that market is something that is amazing if you have anything you wish to share with other people. The most recent book I wrote which came out this in March was called Start Affiliate Marketing. And that is a book 
that is all about affiliate marketing and building your business from the ground up. It came out in April, not in March, but it was saying how people can continue on building a business online basically from ground zero because affiliate marketing expert operated on the belief that some people already knew what they were doing online and a little bit more about what affiliate marketing is or was and start affiliate marketing. That is like taking it a step back saying, okay, you have zero experience. This is what you need to do. Websites, blogs, start doing these things, get these things set up, and then you can start becoming an affiliate marketer and build your business online. Again, you can find all of these books online or at any bookstore by request. If you want to check any of them out, they are available. Now, what I want to touch on while we still have a little bit of time left is some, we're going to get back to the body language aspect of things. You, right now, between last week and between this week, you have a very good example of who I am and what I do, what I've done. Hopefully, you now believe that I am credible enough to teach you about body language and deception. If you don't know me, then now you maybe know me a little better. Again, you can get to know me more if you reach out to me anywhere on the web, social media. I will be available there to communicate with you and answer any questions you may have. So back to body language. Coming up in the next few episodes, we're going to talk more about different scenarios and different examples of what certain things mean and how you can see them. Remember last time we talked about patterns and clusters of behavior. If someone is sitting in a chair and they fold their arms and they cross their legs at their ankles and they lean back, that maybe mean they're not interested because they've done three different behaviors. It wasn't just one. Or let's say they put their feet flat on the floor and they put their elbows on their knees and they lean forward, now they have three behaviors that indicate that they're involved and engaged in the situation. So that is a cluster or a pattern of behaviors. It's always important to look for these clusters and patterns of behaviors because then you can know what everybody is really saying. Now I'm going to tell you a little story about a time that I experienced when I was traveling and this is going to lead in to something that we're going to talk about next time which is first impressions and whether or not they really matter. Do first impressions impact people? Do they make decisions based on first impressions? Etc. So one time I was traveling and when I travel this was a while ago I used to wear a suit all the time. Sometimes I even wore a tie and this was even traveling for leisure. If I was going on vacation somewhere I would just dress up like this. It was a natural thing. I grew up where if you flew on a plane you dressed up nicely. You wore nice clothes because it's, this was a good experience. Nowadays people travel in their flip-flops and their pajamas and they just go on there wearing sweatshirts and whatever they want. Some people don't even wear much on the airplanes. But that's beside the point. I was traveling and the flights, this was with Delta, and they always overbook their flights. It never fails. They overbook every single flight because they count on people not showing up, people not getting through security, people doing whatever, and then they also make extra money. So if they double sell a seat and someone doesn't show up, boom, they just collected another 600 bucks or whatever that flight costs. Well, this time, everybody showed up. So they had about 10 people over what they could fit on the plane. They were checking luggage like crazy. They were trying to get people to get bumped off the flight, to give them a gift card. And eventually, 
after announcement after announcement, I decided, well, let me go up and maybe talk about when the next flight is, how much they would give me, if they'd pay for my hotel, etc. And so I went up to the desk to talk about them. Meanwhile, here, remember, I'm wearing a suit, I had a tie on, and I get up to the counter and the lady says, are you traveling alone? And I said, yes. She says, would you like to sit in first class? I said, sure. She said, okay, give me your boarding pass. I gave her the boarding pass. She gave me a, she said, I'll print you a new one. And she, and I said, okay, well, this is cool. And she's like, yep, you look like you belong in first class. You're dressed for it. And a lot of people here aren't. And so that is a perfect example of first impressions count. I had not even interacted with her for more than five seconds, and she already asked if I was willing to sit in first class. Why? Because they needed the room, they had a few extra first class tickets, and I also got it for free. Why? Because I was dressed nicely. I was dressed to impress, and the first impression mattered. You impress someone, it is an impression. You are making an impression upon them. She immediately saw that I was dressed well enough to sit in first class. Now, why would this even matter? This is like a stereotype, dressed well enough to sit in first class. This is typically because the people who sit in first class are traveling for business. When people travel for business, usually their companies require that they dress up. So when she saw me in a suit, she figured, all right, this is a guy to bump up. It was a good first impression. We're going to talk a lot more about first impressions next time. I've got more stories, more examples, and that is what that will be about. So I want to thank you very much for listening to the Body Talk podcast where we strive to go through life with our eyes open. This again, my name is Spencer Kaufman here on 103.5 FM, The Sun, Community Radio, hoping that you'll join me next time as we start to dig deeper into what everybody is really saying. This is so important because when you start understanding what everybody else really means, because remember, as we said, body language is like 90%. The statistics are 70 to 90. It's close to 90. And that means verbal is only 10%. So when you are only understanding 10% of what people are saying, you are missing the bigger picture. So keep tuning in, check out other resources, and start learning about how you can better relate and better communicate with and to other people so you can know what everybody is really saying. You'll start to care more. You'll start to be a more effective communicator. You'll really understand what they mean, and you'll go through life much more aware of what is going on. If you're interested in more information, you can listen to the playback on sunprairiemediacenter.com or on the Body Talk podcast on spencerkaufman.com. I hope to see you again next week. Until then, go through life with your eyes open. Mm-hmm.